this morning. Amen. So good to see everybody. I want to make a few announcements and we're going to get right into a special part of our service this morning, a baby dedication for Bree. I am so excited to do this this morning and you'll hear more about that in just a few minutes. Operation Christmas Child, if you would like to uh, see the flyers in the foyer, there's instructions um, on either side. There's a little piece of paper with the kid's age. You just pick it up. What we're going to do, we're going to fill these boxes up. And we're going to send them off. This is part of Franklin Graham Ministry. And so you can either get one of these boxes and pack it yourself. But if you walk out on your right-hand side, they're stacked up there. There's also a white container. If you'll put it in a plastic bag and put your wrap, whatever paper you pick, down in that bag. Hillary and some of the youth and are going to help package that bag for you if you don't want to do the packaging yourself. Everybody got that. Pretty simple. So thanks to everybody that helps with that. So grab you a box. If you want to pack it today, if you haven't grabbed one of the little flyers on the side with the instructions on what to buy, you can grab one of those on either side on the stands when you walk out the door this direction, all right? And today after service, anyone interested in participating in the Gap Hill Choir, please meet in the choir room after service. Uh, today, it will only be five or ten minutes, just a quick meeting. So if you want to participate in that, I know there's some that said they were not going to be able to attend today, so we're going to give everybody a second opportunity as well. If you can attend, go ahead and do it today, but we'll also be having another one after church on December the 5th. These are the only two meetings we're going to have for the Gap Hill Choir before the first of the year as we try to get that started up, all right? And I also want to make note, just for you that may have not have known this, that just give God glory because there's a new church sign on the way. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That one out there is shot, folks. It's shot. It's dead. The brains of it don't work anymore, much like mine on some Sunday mornings. 
And, um, but we got a new one coming. It's going to be a four by eight, really big digital. It's going to be nice. I'm telling you, it's going to be really nice. I hate to say it, but way nicer than what we had. Uh, and uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And so just in a few weeks here, we're in the process of waiting on them to, it's hard to get stuff nowadays. So we're waiting on that shipping and stuff like that to happen. But he's already told me it's on the way. So here in the next few weeks, hopefully we'll see that installation start to take place. Uh, before we get into our dedication this morning, I do want to open in prayer and I want to do a few reminders this morning. You can play for me if you don't mind, Susan. Uh, for Jean uh, Perdue, that Rhonda Gray, that's Rhonda Gray's mother. She had a shoulder replacement surgery done this week. Continued prayers for uh, her that God would continue to bring healing to her life. Uh, continued prayers uh, for Bonnie Moody and healing for her. Also for Miss Ada Eads, spoke with her yesterday. She is improving and doing much better. And uh, she's ready to come back to church, all right? But she's, um, it's going to be a few more weeks here, but she's working hard to do that. Also, continue to remember those that have lost loved ones. We have the Greg Rhodes family that passed away a few weeks back. And then we have Carol David's brother-in-law who was in a tragic accident and up about two weeks ago. So let's remember these families as we pray today. And I'm sure there's others that maybe I failed to mention. Let's remember them as well. Father, we want to thank you for this service. As we open it, we pray that your spirit would fill this place. We pray that from the front door all the way to the back, that the Holy Ghost would just enter into this room. Let your will be done in every way. Let everyone leave today saying, man, it was so good to be in the house of the Lord. You know needs, and I'm praying that all those needs are met today in Jesus' name. Just keep on playing there. Dean and Adrian, I'm going to get you guys to come on up if you would with Bree. And I think Carver's coming up today as well with them. This is just a cute little family. I'm telling you, I'm excited for them. Brie LaFate Waite. And we are going to call her Brie. Guys, I love baby dedications. We do these. I feel like we've done more of these this year than I've done in my whole ministry. And that is really, really good, right? Because if you got, I'm telling you, we're going to grow this church one way or the other. I'm almost tempted to have another baby at this point, praise God. Y'all keep on laughing. I'm not that old. Wow, Lord, y'all ain't like we got Abraham and Sarah up here. All right, guys, we're going to do this this morning. That's good, Susan. Thank you so much for playing that. Now, I want to I want to just say before we start, we're going to do this one just a little different today. Whenever we get ready to do these, I always give the parents an opportunity to, to speak. I, I give them an opportunity to write poems about their kids if they want to. I'll read those. But today, Dee has chosen to do much of the speaking part here. And so I'm going to turn it right over to him. And uh, that's good on the music. And, uh, and then after Dee gets finished sharing a wonderful story with you, the synopsis of what took place for Bree, then um, I'll come up and we'll have a word of prayer. All right. Uh, first off, me and Adrian would like to start off by thanking uh, our family, everybody that's here, um, some others that are in the church, Harry and Diane, um, Brian, you and Susan, Jenny and Jennifer. I know we're missing people. Um, one person I don't want to miss who is no longer with us, 
But uh, he shared with us and he gave us gifts and he was following God. And it wasn't long after he, he shared with me personally and, and gave us a gift. And that's why I'm bald. Um, Nathan, Dylan, your dad was a, a key part in all of this. And I, I hate that he's not here to see this. Um, but let's just move right in. Um, this was a, a long quest for us. Um, a lot of people don't know about me and Adrian. Um, the one in, in the middle here, uh, we were told, was a big 50 shot. And it was 100% for us. We knew we would have Carter and he would be in our family. After that, though, it became a long road. In 2017, we, we started trying to expand our family, and we kept saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen our way. And God just laughed at us. He said, it's not going to happen the way you want it. It's going it's to happen the way I want it. And so we, we went for two years, almost three years of trying we went through all the infertility stuff. We, we talked about the UVF and the IVF or whatever all the mixes are. I can't remember them all anymore. But we looked into all of that stuff. And for us, the, the medical UVF and all that just was not financially feasible. And so we sat down, we started talking, and we decided to start looking into fostering. And we weren't looking into adopting out of fostering. Um, we just wanted to, to provide a home for kids that didn't know what mom and dad could look like. And so we started getting into that whole process in about 2019. And Lord Almighty, what a process that was. A lot of people, uh, Stephanie can tell you, it's, it's quite the process. Um, we, we went through it, we got a lot of delays, and God kept putting it off. God kept pushing that date off, and we didn't really know why. And then we got into a situation with my cousin's little girl out in Missouri, Maggie, and most of you already know that story, so I'm not going to get into that too deeply. Um, but we were looking at maybe bringing Maggie into our home. Missouri and hopefully getting her here and we kept going out and back to Missouri and that was a long arduous uh, journey there um, but the last time we went out was June of 2020 the court date I think Adrian told me was June 9th uh, June 10th June 10th of 2020 it's a 12-hour ride one way so we had plenty of time to talk um, and on the way out, I told her, before we left, I prayed and I told God, I said, if it's a no, then we're letting a kid from South Carolina into our home. That's what you want us to do. If that's what you want us to do, we get a no today. Or tomorrow, actually. And so we got out there, we went through the whole court thing, and it was a no. 
We got back on the road. We sat and were just upset, mad for the first hour or so on the way back. I'm glad we didn't have cell reception for the first two hours because we just didn't want to deal with it. Um, why we come back is through the Ozarks. And you think we don't have cell reception here, go to the Ozarks. It's a black hole. There is no cell reception. And so when we got done out of the Ozarks, me and Adrian had been talking, and we decided we're going to call Katina, that's our foster care licensing worker, and tell her we want to open up our home to a kid in South Carolina. So we stopped, we ate lunch, we let our family know what had happened. And it wasn't long after that, Adrian got on the phone and started talking to Katina and told her, we want a kid in our home from South Carolina. We didn't think nothing much would happen from that. So we kept going down the road and it was maybe an hour after we called Katina that Adrian's cousin, Denise, texted Adrian and was like, I don't know if y'all are still doing the whole foster care thing, if that's something that you might have in mind. But I know a couple that's getting out of foster care that's trying to find a good home for a little baby girl. Now going into this, they told us we wouldn't be able to adopt a baby. If we were gonna adopt from foster care, it was gonna be an older kid that's just how it was with foster care. So when Denise texted us about Bree, we just didn't know what was gonna happen. We had this little, at that time, she had just turned one and there was a possibility for TBR. Didn't even wanna go over there, sorry. Um, <laughs> but you know, this is God right now. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't even know if we were going to get her in our home. Because you can't just say, I want that child. I want this baby to come into my home. You can't, you can't do that with foster care. But we met up with Judy and, and Chris, and we started getting to know Bree. And she, she didn't take to me very well at first. But she took right to Adrian. I mean, she she walked right up to her, started playing. I mean, she took right to Adrian. And I knew when I saw her walk up to Adrian, she was coming to our house. Didn't matter what DSS said, didn't matter what anybody else said, I knew she was coming into my house. Because that's what God said. When she came and created that. When she came and told, when she came and just bonded with Adrian, that first time we ever met her, I knew that baby was coming in our house. And so we we kept going through, jumping through the hoops, and it didn't look like she was coming into our home. Me and Adrian, we cried, we got mad, but we kept going back to one thing. We kept going back and praying. And. When she came into our home on November 6th of last year, we had family pictures set up 
for this date, specifically November 7th, one year ago, we had already had it scheduled to have family pictures. Adrian said, she's going to be in our pictures, right? I said, yes, she's our family. She's in our pictures. The day she walked into our home, we knew God was providing that she would be in our house. She would be a permanent fixture in our home. We knew God was going to do that. So on November 7th, not even 24 hours after she was in our home, she was in our family pictures because we knew she was our family. So we went through the whole CPR process. That was arduous. Um, and in uh, August, officially free for adoption and so then October 25th of this year she we had our adoption date that's, that's an interesting date because we have seems like half of our family has birthdays in October but my dad's birthday is the 23rd my grandpa's birthday was the 21st Maxine your birthday is the 24th right and it just worked out in so many ways and so many layers that God put things out in the order that he did. When, when we started talking about baby dedication, I told Adrian, I said, I want it this day. I want it on the 7th because that was the day that we brought her into our family. And this is the day I want her to be dedicated to God's family. It seems so fitting to me. And with Carver and Bree now, we're still looking at maybe fostering in the future. But right now, this is what God has for me and Adrian to fulfill. To raise these two kids in his, in his word. Um, I shared something with the Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. Last week. Sorry. Um, I shared something with our Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, and it's what I learned from this whole process, and it's about time. Not my time, not Adrian's time, not DSS's time, God's time. And the word can be broken down into how you should process God's time. The first thing is the T. You have to be thankful in the trial. If we weren't thankful in all of the trials that we went through to get this little girl in our home, she wouldn't be in our home. We were thankful even when it looked like a no in everything. We said, thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity. We were constantly thankful in those trials. Second, we immersed ourselves in God. We got deeper into prayer. We got deeper into scripture. I did something I'd never done before. I started fasting, and it changed me. It has changed our family, and that's because we immersed ourselves in God. And then we met God where he was. We didn't force God to meet us where we were. We went and met God where he was at a time that was Missouri. God told us to go to Missouri. We went to Missouri. 
Then God said, all right, come back to South Carolina. So we came back to South Carolina, and we met God where he was. And then the last thing is we expected God's blessing. When she came into our home, November 6, 2020, we expected to be standing here at some point, maybe not a year later, but we knew at some point we were going to be standing here dedicating her in front of this church to the church body. And that's where we're at today. So I just wanted to kind of share our testimony. Jimmy, it was your fault. You told us that we had to share our testimony a couple weeks ago. And I remember I was wrong. It wasn't the uh, Miracle at Midnight sermon, but it was a sermon about miracles on November 8th. And I was sitting on that back pew about where Sheila, uh, Sheila Roper is right now, holding hers first Sunday she was in our home and I text you and I said I'm holding my miracle right now and that's how we feel about her amen can we give God a hand clap of praise today amen let me get you to go to the front here guys if you would and I'm going to give you guys this for her and I'm going to get the family if you would to come up as we do our prayer you can lie in the front Jennifer if you'll get a picture for them if they want to use their phone or however they want to do it. And we have, of course, this little certificate from Miss Bray. It's got your name on it. It's so pretty. Look at what else we've got you. We've got you a Bible with your name on it. Your pastor can get it open. Look at that. Isn't that pretty? Little lamb on it. It's so pretty. That's going to be yours. You hold that for me, can you? Good deal. I love this. I normally don't get to give the baby the Bible. She's like, you know, she's excited about this. I normally don't get to do that. I love it. Wow, we've got a big family coming up here. Let's squeeze in, guys. Wow. Miss Maxine coming down there. All right. Look at the camera there, Brian. Smile. Father, today we thank you for Bree. Thank you for this wonderful family. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the story that we have heard today, Father. It goes to show us that your timing may not be our timing, but Father, your plans will always work out. Man can have plans in their heart, but it is your plan that prevails. And so today we thank you for this family. We thank you for bringing them through this journey that they've had to go through to get to this place. And we know that Bree is where she's supposed to be. This is a special place for her. And Father, this is a place that she can grow. And you have special plans for her. And so Father, whatever those plans are, I don't know them. They don't know them. But Father, you have planted her in a place that she can grow. And so today we pray an anointing and a blessing on this sweet and precious baby. That the Holy Spirit would just rest on her. Use her in your kingdom. Do something through her that we won't even dream possible. When we look back at this day, we'll remember that this is the moment that we blessed her and we dedicated her to you and said, take her and use her for your kingdom. 
Father, do it. Let your will be done. For this, we will give you glory. Bless this family. Give them the power and the strength to help raise this child in a godly home. Help us as a church family to also be a part of this process because we're family too. Help us to encourage and lift her up so that we can all see her one day become exactly what you have her to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job. Give them a hand clap today, God. God bless you. Is there going back to the seats? Let's stand together. Have you come to bless the Lord? Lord, we lift you in this place. Lord, we magnify you. Lord, you deserve all the glory. We lift you up, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And you deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. And you deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. For you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you.
chapter 37 just remain standing for the word today Isaiah chapter 37 and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying O Lord of hosts God of Israel the one who dwells between the cherubim you are God you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth you have made heaven and earth. I love it. God, he's showing God how great he is in his testimony here. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands. That means they have won many battles. They have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. They were wood and stone. He's saying that the areas that they have defeated and overcome, they had gods, but they were little g's. They were gods that were built by man, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. But therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. You may be seated in the presence of God today. What to do when trouble comes? Now today I'm asking you a question while at the same time I'm making an emphatic statement. Alright? I'm going to ask you a question and I'm also making a statement. So we'll work through that this morning. But if we start off with the question, right? What do I do? What do you do when trouble comes? Now notice with me are you surprised that the old statement was said this way. It's not if trouble comes. It is when trouble comes. Everybody with me? It is not if trouble comes. It is the question of when is trouble going to come. Because everybody in this house today. And even the testimony we heard this morning. And the story that was shared. The trouble that was encountered throughout the process. Because it wasn't easy. There were hurdles that were all along the way. And you know exactly what I'm talking about when I refer to trouble today. Uh, the fact is, it is going to come to us. It, it, it comes to all people. A matter of fact, in one scripture, I believe he said it this way, that it rains on the just as well as the unjust. So in other words, it doesn't matter whether you're a saint or whether you're a sinner. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what church you go to, what denomination you're a part of. Trouble is going to come. Now we would think that when we got saved that it would be some kind of deal that God would give us to where if you serve me, then everything's going to go great. We wish it would happen that way. And, and while there may be ministries and preachers that will try to get up and pastors and tell people what they want to hear and make them feel like if they serve God, everything's going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be good and you're going to have roses all the time. But we understand that even in roses, we have some thorns. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you go out there and grab the vine of it and rub your hand up and down and you'll know. What the songwriter meant when some roses have their thorns. And so we understand that it is going to happen. As a matter of fact, Job very somberly said it 
when he said man is born of a woman, right? That means that we are born of flesh. What Job is saying is if you were born of a male and a female just like God intended, then you are flesh. You are humanity. You are fallen humanity. You are born into the Adamic nature. Sin is trying to rear up its head in you. He says, and what you find is the man that is born of woman is a few days, but the days are full of trouble. Trouble can come in a catastrophe. A single catastrophe. Or it can be aggravating like those little small things. It's a multiplication of small things. Has anybody ever been there to where something happened this morning and you're like, oh, I hated that. And then at lunch something happened. Then the next day something happened. Then the next week something happened. It's a multiplication of small things. It's like what God said Satan has. He has what he calls fiery darts. And they, they don't kill us, but they will aggravate us to death. And he'll throw them at us, full of trouble, full of trouble, full. And everywhere we turn, it's kind of like grasshoppers. The multiplication of a group of grasshoppers can go into a field that's ready to harvest and they can clean it out. So it's like a plague of grasshoppers, all these little things, these little troubles that come our way. It may come surprising to some of us that the source could be from an ongoing problem. It may come to a surprise as I tell you today that sometimes it comes from our own folly, our own foolishness, our own mistakes, or I could even say our own sins. Sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves, right? Sometimes we can't blame God for it, our spouse for it. Sometimes we are the problem and we're the reason that we're in the mess we're in. But more times than not, I don't even believe a lot of times it's traceable to us. It just happens. Regardless of what we do, regardless of how we've lived, regardless of how we've tried to treat people, it can announce itself in a telephone call in the wee hours of the morning when you pick it up and trouble is there. It can be trouble in the form of a serious diagnosis that a doctor gives you and it can come in an even worse form when you sit down to have the talk about the prognosis and, and what are we going to do? How are we going to, what does the end look like? It can be caused by the impact one night has been, even as some of our church family has experienced trouble from the collision of vehicles and, and someone not making it out of that accident. It can come from the gradual erosion of a debilitating disease that just wears away at your body and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Now, although I'll tell you today flat-footed, there's no secret recipe and you cannot control trouble. If it hits you, it's going to hit you. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It's called L-I-F-E. It's called life and it happens to everybody. It comes in different forms, different fashions, but it all the, the same comes to us all. Now, while I can't control trouble, I can control the reaction that I have towards that trouble. See, there was one sermon I heard a long time ago that said, what do you do when life gives you lemons, right? What do you do? Well, you can sit there and you can suck on them and you'll figure out lemons are sour. And there's some people that when trouble comes to them, all they see is the lemons and they accept that. And say, well, I'm going to be a sour person. I'm going to be a bitter person. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why am I going through this? And some people allow trouble to make them bitter. But in the sermon that I heard, it was said like this. 
But what you do when you look at it from a positive outlook, you take the lemons, add a little sugar to it, and you make you some good lemonade to drink. Come on, somebody. So what I'm telling you, it is all about what you do and how you react to it. In our text today, there's this mean king by the name of Sennacherib. He has occupied, already destroyed, and come and taken over much of the smaller Judean cities or Judean cities that are around Jerusalem. He is making his way towards God's people. He sends a toning and rather blasphemous letter to Hezekiah. He taunts in the letter. He boasts his plan. Basically, in short, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy you and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. He makes false accusations in the letter. He insults King Hezekiah as if he is unable to protect his people. And in the process, he even belittles God. Can I say to somebody that, that Goliath tried to do the same thing with David? Who is this dog that you've sent out to fight me? He belittled God. He cursed God. That is why David went and fought him. He said, who does this guy think he is talking about my great God like that? It doesn't work out well for you when you start talking against the God that saves his people when trouble comes. Now today I'm going to keep it simple. And I am going to give you four step plan that Hezekiah used in order to make it through the trouble that came his way. Are you ready for it? For you note takers, point number one, he went to the house of the Lord. Praise God, hallelujah. Can I preach to y'all for just a few minutes today? Will you indulge me? Just, just let me. Most people do the opposite. Most people, when trouble hits, rather than coming to the place of worship, they drop out of the place of worship. Does that make any sense to anybody? I mean, why would you want to leave God when you really need God? Why would, what makes you feel like that you need to get away from God's people and from God himself when trouble hits? And you see it so often. And you call people and you say, well, what's going on? Why aren't you here? Well, what's going on? And they're like, well, we've just had some rough times. Well, guess what? Hezekiah was having a rough day too. But the first place he went was to the house of God. Because as you grow in Christ, this is what you are going to learn. If you walk away from church and try to take and become a recluse and get away from God and his people, what's going to happen to you is you compound the problem. It gives the devil even more ammunition against you. And so when we're saying, why didn't you make it? Now, well, because this, blah, blah, blah. And they go through all of this spiel as a why. They can't make it to God's house. And I'm thinking to myself sitting there, you should have been there. Do you know why I'm saying you should have been there? Not because I preached a sermon. Not because they sang a song. Not because of what. The reason you should have been there is because God was there. And right now, what you need in your life is a little bit of God. So don't run from the house of God. So Hezekiah is wise enough that at the onset of trouble, he does not play around, he doesn't wait around. 
he finds all the more reason to go to the church house. There is no better place, I'm telling you ladies and gentlemen, than church to face your problems when they come at you head on. It is not in a bar, at a bar, in a bar room. It is not in a bottle. Come on somebody. It is not a pill. It is not alcohol. It is none of these things. It is not any of those things that the world can offer. It is not sitting on a psychiatrist's couch who's trying to tell you how to work through life. The best place you can ever go is God's house. It's the best place and you will find the help that you need there. See, I read about David the other day in Psalm 73. He says, but as for me, he said, my feet had almost stumbled. He said, my steps had nearly slipped. In other words, I'm going through some things and I felt like I was falling and I felt like I wasn't going to make it. But then in verse 16 and 17, he goes on and he finds the answer to his own question. When I thought how to understand this, David said, it was too painful for me until. Somebody say until. Until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood therein. The problem that he is having, the trouble that he is having within himself is that he's looking around and all the wicked people are doing good and he's struggling. So he doesn't understand how you can live like a devil and still have a good life. And he can try to go to church, try to do the right thing, try to treat people right. And all he ever feels like he gets is more and more and more trouble. And so he doesn't understand it. I don't either. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But he said, when I got into the house of God, I was struggling before I got there. My feet nearly slipped. I was about to give up. I didn't understand what God was up to and why he would allow us to suffer as Christians but let the wicked prosper. It doesn't make any sense to me until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he said, then I began to understand. In other words, when he got in the presence of God, in the house of God, he began to see things clearer than he did before. He had a clearer understanding when he got to church. See, that's what happens sometimes. When you come to church and you really don't understand what's going on and when the presence of a great almighty God comes and shows up in the house, the creator of heaven and earth, and all of a sudden in the presence of God with your hands lifted, you begin to gain an understanding that you couldn't get at home. The only place you could find it was like Hezekiah when you got in God's house and then you understood what God was up to. Oh, hallelujah. See, I like David's attitude about church. You know, we, we, sometimes we have a bad facade when it comes to church. And the world looks at us bad. We have a bad name sometimes. But I like David's attitude about God's house. Some people, you ask them about God's house and they complain about the preacher, right? Some people, you ask them about God's house and they complain about somebody that sits across the aisle from them. They complain about their Sunday school teacher. All right? David's attitude about church was beautiful. I'm going to show you really quick. In Psalm 122, 1, you know it. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, most of the time, we shout because I was glad when we went to church. Woo, yes, let's go to church. But notice the two words after I was glad when they said, uh, let, let us. Did y'all grab that? He didn't say, oh, I was glad when they said, let me go to the house of the Lord. He said, let us. 
go to the house of the Lord. So I guess what David's trying to say is, I love church so much and it's blessed me so much, you ought to bring somebody with you when you come. You bring somebody with you when you come. My God, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 92, 13, he said, those who are planted in the house of of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. You need to be planted in a church. Now we talk about church hopping all the time and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There's a season for all things. They're telling us that pastors are getting more jumpy than they've ever been before. I read some the other day where they said in 12 months most pastors are leaving their pulpits. 18 months, they're gone. They're getting jumpy. And they're like, you don't even have time to plan anything in 12 months. I mean, really, I'm being serious. I've pastored long enough since I was 21 years old. Man, it takes years sometimes just to get things rolling the way you want to. You got to be, see, what's your, what's important about being planted in a church? I'm going to tell you what's important about being planted in a church because you become invested in it. If I go to something I have no investment in, I don't care about it. It ain't going to hurt me. If I don't pay my tithes, if I don't give in the offering, do you think I care if Gap Hill goes under and can't pay the lights and we come in and they're off next Sunday? I don't care. But because I'm planted here. Oh God, I'm preaching today. Because I'm planted here, I'm invested in this thing. And so guess what? When this church hurts, I hurt. When people in this congregation hurt, I hurt. Because we are planted in the same field together. And I want you to do good just like I want myself and my family to do good. So when you get planted, you take on ownership of what really happens in the house of God. So understand, we need to be planted. Psalm 69, he says, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Look at this. That's the excitement. That's the enthusiasm of coming to the house of God. David's attitude in chapter 26 says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. That means the dwelling place of your house. And the place where your glory dwells. Man, I was thinking, Miss Phyllis, last night. You know, I, my second bed was underneath the third pew on the left-hand side. Where Jean, well, one, two, yeah, where Jean's sitting right there in her shirt. That was my second bed. There's a many a nights, buddy, I fell asleep right there under that pew. They were shouting and running and praising God, and, I, and I'm just underneath just sleeping away. Every now and then they'd start stomping on the floor, and it'd wake me up. And I'd peek over the pew to see what was going on, but it had become so normal to me. I, I wasn't surprised. I'd lay back down and go to bed. I know what they were doing. They were just rolling on the floor again, shouting, doing whatever they do, Right? I got used to it. No big deal. When I'm telling you, and I love this, I love this. My mother used to make me go to church, stay in church, live at church. I felt like church was, was my home, right? David says, I love being in the habitation. I like being there because God lives there. Woo, Jesus, help me today. Hezekiah built a temple. That's right. Or Solomon rather built a temple. I'm sorry, Solomon built the temple. And when he gets finished building the temple, 
He's got the walls. He's got the fanciest gold. He's got all the things that he needs. But what they were waiting for was what happens last. And that is when smoke and glory begins to roll in. And the words I think that Solomon used is, Lord, I built you a house that my father, because blood was on his hands, he could not build it, build it, but I have built this house for you to inhabit. I have built this house for you to live in. And today we may have a pretty building. And today we've got walls and we've got air and we've got heat and, and lights and music and, and microphones. But at the end of the day, the reason I come here is not for that. I come here because I know the Lord lives here. I come here because I know when I come here, I'm not just coming to see you. I'm coming to see the God of heaven that inhabits this place. This is where the glory dwells. No wonder Hezekiah ran to the church house. Oh, Jesus. Hebrews 10, 25. i got to hurry. Not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Did y'all catch that? He's saying some people ain't invested. Some people don't care. Some people, they're going to forsake the house of God. They ain't going to come. He said, but you should exhort one another. And so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. My God Almighty. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. That's why we come to church. Number two. He sought the Lord immediately. Now the word sought means to search for. That means to make sure he's there. Because if God isn't in my situation, then i got to get Him in it. If I have pushed Him off, and if I have tried to recluse myself into a corner, and if God has said, Jimmy, I'm going to give you your way, if you don't want to be in my presence, and if you don't want to do what I say, and if you don't want to live like I want you to live, then you go ahead and go your own way, and I'll go mine. So i got to make sure God's still around. So when he gets to the house of the Lord, he begins to seek, to search for God. God, I haven't been the person I should be lately. God, I haven't prayed like I should. God, it's been a while since I've been to church. But man, I really need you now. And he began to seek God, search for him. It is not his last resort. He didn't consult with his military advisors. He didn't call his neighboring monarchs that, that he had made these peace treaties with. And they were allies and were supposed to fight together those were great resources. But all of those resources were secondary. He moved towards solving his problem by seeking God's help. Somebody hear me today. You will never delay your victory by stopping and taking the time to ask God for help. A matter of fact, if anything, you may speed up your victory. When you take the time to ask God for His help. See, understand with me. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of His righteousness. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Hebrews 13, 6. So we may say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man, hallelujah, can do to me. I wrote a note, if you have nothing but have Jesus, then you have everything that you need. Don't seek help from anywhere else. You go to the house of God, you start seeking the Lord immediately. Third, he laid the whole problem out before God. Give me a piece of paper. Where, where's my paper? There we go. Uh. The letter from Sennacherib right here. 
Now, he goes to the church. He, there you go, God. There it goes. That's what Sennacherib said. That's what he said about you. That's what he said about me. That's what he thinks about your people. He has compared you to a false god of wood and stone. Read the letter. Now, now let me show y'all something here. I, oh, God. Hezekiah could have wrote a letter back, right? Oh, let me respond to him. I'm going to tell him a thing or two. Or he could have wrote him back and said, Oh my gosh, listen, Sennacherib, we'll work out a deal. How much do I have to pay you? You know, I got a lot of money here at the temple and I can send you some gold and we could work out a treaty and a deal here. But instead of doing that, he simply took the letter and referred it to the one that had the answer to the letter. He didn't write the person that sent the letter. He laid it before the God that had the answer to the problem and the trouble that he was facing. So he lays it out before God. Understand with me. Literally, he laid it out. My Lord, I've done that before, haven't you? I've been in prayer services and literally just laid on the floor, flat, face first. I didn't tell God half of my problem. I told God the whole problem. I told him what was wrong with me. Come on, somebody. We don't want to do that. I told him everything. I told him what was wrong with them, what was wrong with me, and what I needed for him. Please understand with me, he was not only willing to seek the Lord's counsel, but he was also at a point in his life that he was willing to accept the Lord's answer. Too often we chart out our own strategy. We devise our own plans for deliverance. And then we go to God and say, God, I got it all written out here. All I need you to do is ratify it. All I need you to do is bless it. But that is not how our God works. Because we can't just write out what we're going to do without consulting him. I've done it and you've done it too. But we've got to be ready. For God's plan to take place in our life. And we have to be ready to accept God's answers. We've got to be ready to lay it out before God, alright? But we've also got to be ready to accept whatever God says. Sometimes God says, yes. And we shout and scream hallelujah. Sometimes God says no. And we go sit in the corner and have a tea party and, and, and just we're pitiful. We pout, cry. Oh, God. Sometimes God says you need to learn an attribute and characteristic called patience. Maybe later, but this isn't your season. Come on, somebody. Oh, we got to be willing to lay it out. We hesitate to completely surrender our needs to God because we don't understand His methods of deliverance from trouble in our lives. 55, 8 of Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. We have to trust whatever He says. We have to do what the Bible said. It's a simple concept. He said, cast your burden and your care on the Lord. Just give it to Him. Why? Because He cares for you. So if you truly believe that God loves you like He said He did. He gave His only Son for you. If God really loves you that much, don't you think that He's willing to take your burden today? Don't you think He's willing to take your problem today? Don't you think He's willing to take your trouble and change your situation. He's just waiting on you to lay it out and say, there it is, God. Oh, God. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I got I to go to my last point. And we're closing. 
Hezekiah did something so simple that when we make an appointment preaching, we roll our eyes. Hezekiah prayed. But do you understand, if you're a Christian, this is everything that you are. This is it. Prayer. This is it. This is the only thing that connects you to God. This is it. This is the one line that nothing else can interfere. It's your connection to the divine God. And so Hezekiah has done all these things. And lastly, he just starts praying. He didn't merely just spread a letter out before God and say, God, read the letter. God already knew what the letter said. God was well aware of what Sennacherib was thinking even before he thought it. He knows how to read. He didn't need him to read it for him, right? He could have just laid it out and said, God, here it is. Now, you deal with that, right? But he began to pray and talk to God about it, right? He began to talk to God. He understands surely God can read it all for himself. But he desired, God desired to hear the urgent pleading of his servant. See, I need somebody to know that God knows what you're going through. I need somebody to grab that today. God knows what they said to you. God knows what you've been going through. God knows the struggle in your family. God knows the financial crunch that you're in. Don't be fooled today by the adversary. God knows. Are you ready for this? But he wants to hear your voice. Oh, that's, this, this is good stuff right here. Too often we come to church, we know God knows what I need. And then you ask somebody, have you prayed about it? Uh, huh? Prayed about it? I got to pray about it? I, 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 God knows. You've heard me say, God knows. God's will. He'll do what God will do, whatever God does. He'll work this situation out in his time, right? No, no, no. That's not how this thing works, honey. You, you don't just throw letters down and say, God, there it is. Take care of it. You got to get down on your knees and you got to pray. And you got to say, God, I know you know what the letter says. I know you know what I'm going through. But I need to tell you that I still believe your God. And I still believe your able. And I don't care what the enemy has said. I don't care what Sennacherib said he's going to do. I know there's a God that created the heaven and the earth. He's not built out of wood and stone. He's a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if anybody can fix this mess, my God. Can somebody give God praise? So take the letter and ball it up and throw it at the devil. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 35. Go ahead, Susan, if you would, and start playing. That means I've got 10 more minutes. I want you to grab this. Are you ready? So Hezekiah does all of this. He starts praying, and he's asking God to pull him through this mess, all right? He's got the letter. He knows what it says. He's taught the God about it. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. Are y'all ready for this? I went to a conference, Gateway Conference, a while back. We got into a room, and they told us this. You are in a safe place. 
Well, normally with pastors, that means you don't open your mouth because somebody's going to gossip about it. But one thing that he told us, he said, if you'll just let the process work, it will work. So I need you to open up and I need you to tell us exactly what's going on. And do you know what? Man, it's like having a shrink. I see why people pay for this stuff now. Now I understand why people want to come to my office. And all they want to do, they don't want me to talk. They just want to get it out. And so you just sit there and you let them talk. And man, by the time they leave, Harry, you don't have to give them one word of advice. Just say, all right, let's have a word of prayer. And they're leaving talking. Oh, oh, preacher, thank you. That changed my life. I mean, you're, they're going around talking about, boy, if you got trouble, you go talk to that man right there. He's anointed. And I didn't say anything at all. All they did was they got off of their chest what had been, they've been struggling with. It's a safe place. They let it out. And as they let it out, they felt so much better. I've sat in rooms before and I've had to find Kleenex tissues. My Lord, if you want some, we've got about 100 boxes around here around the altar. I'll be right back. Let me run. Out. And I've given them tissues. They sit there and talk and just cry. It's all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 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 Just go ahead. Go ahead and let it out. Go ahead. Come on. Here's another tissue. But as they talk about it, it's all better. I want somebody to understand that maybe that's what you need to do with God. Maybe you need to get in a closet all by yourself, you and Him. And maybe you just need to tell Him exactly what, what you're feeling. Maybe you need to tell Him exactly what Satan's been telling you in the middle of the night. Maybe you need to just let it out. Because I'm telling you, it's the safest place you'll ever be. And I'm glad to tell somebody that God still answers prayer. I am glad to report to you today that Hezekiah did his prayer. He left it on the altar and he said, God, I've told you I've done everything right and now I'm leaving it in your hands. Show me you're still God. And it came to pass on a certain night. My God, I'm like I can shout all over this church. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out. Not one of Hezekiah's soldiers would die. Not one of Hezekiah's soldiers would lift a sword. Not one of them would face Sennacherib. For on a certain night at the Lord's choosing, an angel went out and killed the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. When people arose in the morning, there are corpses and they're all dead. God says, this is how I handle situations. In the middle of the night, everything that was well alive in your life, all of the trouble and all of the problems that when you went to sleep last night, they were well alive. You felt their pain. You felt the process. And you struggled to sleep at night with tears rolling on your pillow. You knew it was real. But during the night, the Lord sent His angel. 
and he shut the mouth of the lion for Daniel. And I'm telling somebody in this film today, that is exactly what God wants me to tell you today. He knows what you're going through. And he can kill all 185,000. And the things in your life that were well alive, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and all of them are going to be laying on the ground dead. Because that's what God does. Let's all stand, my God. God can change your living problems into dead ones. So are you in trouble now? What to do when trouble comes? Well, many of you have already done the right thing today. You go to the house of the Lord. You seek Him immediately. You lay out the problem and the letter before the Lord. And then you just get on your knees and you have a good old-fashioned prayer service and pray earnestly. And the fervent, this righteous man's prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. Heaven is shaken when a man or woman gets down on their knees and they begin to pray and believe that they're just not praying to a dead God as our text told us, but they are praying to the God that created all of this stuff. And if He created it, don't you think He can deal with it and handle it? You deserve the glory and the honor. So, Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. Oh, you deserve the glory and the honor. The honor is all yours. Lord, we lift our hands in worship. Sing it with me. Sing it again. to give it to God right now. God's already got your problem fixed. He's already got the solution. I want you to lift your hand and believe God's doing it right now. Go ahead. Oh, for you are great. You do miracles so Pray if you want, that's you fine. You can come so pray if you want. Hallelujah. There is no one else like you. There is no one else. Sing it again. Lord, you are great.
Where is the 